I walk by the tomb of Buddha, looked inside and saw his bones, traveled on to see Resurrection 
Turn over to the book of Colossians. We're going to get started there here in just a minute. We'll get you there already, though. Colossians chapter 1. I'm not going to read there yet, but today we're going to begin a study on the church. We're going to begin a study on the church. And so we're going to just kind of jump right in today. But the church is such a valuable tool and an asset in our lives, and we're going to talk a little bit about it over the next weeks, and I trust it will be a help to you. Again, we just come off our study on... um, you know, fight the good fight uh, uh, as a steward. And we talked about that for three weeks, different aspects of stewardship. And again, later in the year, we're going to revisit our theme and we're going to talk about some things and uh, address the, another issue concerning fighting the good fight. And so uh, right now, though, we're going to talk about the church over the next few weeks. And again, it's important that we understand what we're doing here, why we're here and what the purpose of it is and those kind of things. And so I want to mention the church, talk about it over the next few weeks, but today I want to begin by just talking about the church, all right? We're just going to talk about it, and I'm going to give you four areas or four things about the church. And we're going to talk about its beginning. We're going to talk about its body. We're going to talk about its battle. And finally, its blessing, all right? We're going to talk about those four areas very quickly today, and I trust they'll be a help to you and encouragement to you. So before we do that, let's go ahead and pray this morning, all right? Father, we come to you thanking you, for Father, for these that have gathered today. Lord, we are so thrilled, Father, to be able to be here. Thank you again. Lord, how can we thank you enough for just your son, Jesus Christ, and or just for the shed blood that he gave, and Lord, just for the sacrifice that he made. And Lord, we know that as believers, we're part of your family, but we're also part of the church. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, today as we gather, we're praying that, Lord, our hearts would be stirred and encouraged. May we know a little bit more today when we leave than when we came. May we be instructed and inspired. Father, may our hearts be stronger, more steady. Lord, may our resolve, Father, be more grounded. Lord, we need you today. And Father, bless these that have gathered. And may you just meet their need. And Lord, again, if there be someone here that doesn't know you for sure, Father, may they settle that. Now fill me with your spirit. Father, let me be your mouthpiece today. And Lord, may you just anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. First of all, let's talk about the church, its beginning. Its beginning. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, we're over there. I trust verse 9, if you would, please. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Let's notice what the Bible says here between verses 9 through 18. The Bible says, For this cause... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance, the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. For he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the church, excuse me, of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Notice this passage in verse 18. For he, referring to Jesus Christ, who created all things, is the head of the body, the church. The church is not the invention of man. It was not instituted by satanical minds who wished to enslave the uneducated or appease the poor. You take classes in college, you may hear things that the church and religion is simply a utopia created for the poor to keep them in order, to keep them in their place, to keep them from being so upset about life and just to accept their particular situation and standard in life. 
Obviously, we come to that conclusion through the Middle Ages as there was a priest class and they tried to keep the common people down and would not permit them to learn or understand the Bible. And as a result, they tried to get them to believe in a God, therefore, somehow to say, well, bad things happen to good people. And the truth is, is that God will reward us one day, even though we're in misery today. Well, that's the idea that some have come across, that religion was created by man to somehow appease the poor, to somehow soothe their hurts and heartaches, to get them to look ahead instead of try to change the present. That's not at all the case. The church as we understand it, we're talking about the biblical church. Christ's church was not instituted, was not created by man. It was conceived in the mind of God and instituted by Christ himself. There's been much debate as to when the church began. Many people, some take the position that it began with Christ. Others uh, say that it began at the day of Pentecost. There's a, you know, a debate. You know, which is it? Was it Christ with his disciples? Is it the day of Pentecost? When did the church begin? Well, Community Baptist Temple began in a converted garage at the Lake Senior Center. There in that one room, we started the work. At first, there were just a very few people who attended. As a matter of fact, there were less than 10 people at times in the evening service. At times, as time went on, I should say, and energy was exerted, God began to increase our numbers. And although we began in March of 1994, mind you, almost 20 years ago. It wasn't until January 9th, nine months later, that we officially organized as a church. Now, what I have here are copies of our charter membership. There are little children that signed this and everything. We let everybody sign. And there were 24 total after nine months of signing this. Now, today, there were 16 adults, mind you, that signed this. And nine of those adults are still here today. Now, listen, all I'm saying is, is that this is the charter membership of Community Baptist Temple. And yet, the fact is, is that we, we're getting a lot of ringing up here, guys. This started, at least I'm hearing it, this started back in 94 in March. But it wasn't until January 95 that we officially organized. You say, why are you bringing that up? Well, I believe that that's the same reasoning or principle that addresses this issue concerning when the church began. I mean, the church was begun by its founder. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus Christ, the founder, founded the church, began the church with He and His disciples... And then it was simply empowered on the day of Pentecost. It got officially running, so to speak, on the day of Pentecost. Now, we could be debated. People would argue about it. But it's about as simple to me as simple can be. When you think that the founder was on earth with disciples, they were organized, they were preaching, they were teaching, they were fellowshipping, they were together with one another. That church, as it's in its very small form was there, just like our church was very small early on. And as it began to grow, ultimately it was empowered at Pentecost and took off. So the church began with Christ, empowered at Pentecost, and continues to this day. It's beginning. Number two, it's body. It's body. The church is not a building. According to the Bible, it's a body. Once again, we turn to Colossians as we were already there. And we're told there that Christ is the head of the body. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't leave out body. It doesn't just say head of the church like I tried to read it. It says he is the head of the body, the church. Well, that's important to understand. That's extremely important. The word church comes from the Greek ekklesia. It's a combination of two Greek words, actually. First of all, ek, which means out, and 
kaleo, meaning call. So when you put the two together in its proper noun form, it ecclesia actually means called out assembly. A church is a called out assembly. Someone says, oh, so it has to be religious. No, not at all. doesn't have to be religious. A church, by definition, is any called out assembly. We are a church, however, because we are called out by God. Called out of the world to come together to fellowship with a purpose. Amen. A called out assembly. The church is a body. In the book of 1 Corinthians, turn there if you would please in chapter 12. <clears throat> We're going to begin reading just, we'll just read two verses in that chapter, but let's notice verse 12. This assembly of called out believers, this church, as you will, is comprised of many members. <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Do you know that when you were saved, you were placed into the body of Christ? You can't separate Christ from the church, even. You can't do that. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, just a few verses down, says, But now are they many members, yet but one body. Now, one of the things that seems to happen often when we start talking about the church is that people like to talk about something called the universal church versus the local church. Instead of making it verses, they just say this is the, the, the church is universal which means basically that everybody's part of the same called-out assembly. The problem with that is, go ahead and give a call to a pastor in Florida and tell him you want him to do your funeral, and you're not paying him, by the way. You want him to marry your children off. You want him to visit you in the hospital. You want him to help meet your needs and counsel with you and see how quickly he runs up here to do that doesn't work that way. While we are on earth, the Bible is very clear. And as you look through the Word of God, He talks to specific bodies of believers. The church at Galatia. The church at Cappadocia. The church at Laodicea. The church at Philadelphia. He's specific. There are churches called out. God does not function nor does He operate in a universal church at this time. That is why everyone needs to belong to an, a called-out assembly, a local body, a local church. Amen. If you send your money to some TV minister, you are unscriptural. You're not biblical because the church belongs local. It's here where you live. Now, if you're tithing and you're giving and you choose to be benevolent and share with other ministries and they're biblical and scriptural themselves, and they are based out of local churches, I don't have a problem with that. I don't see anything in the Bible that says you can't give to other things, but you cannot neglect your church. So it says, well, I give to this instead of this. You don't have that choice to make. You give first in your local church as God commands, then you give outside that. Because it's local assemblies. We are not all part of one big body functioning practically today that way. Are we part of one whole? Yes, Christ. But when will that be assembled? Not until we are with Him. Amen. And until we assemble as a whole, we function as called out local assemblies. Independent of one another. Autonomous of one another. We are autonomous. Self-governing, self-supporting. We're a body, yes. Many bodies. All part of one, yes. But individual in this case. Now, when we're talking about this body, we see the body before us here. Here's the body. The called out assembly. The church. Many parts. One body. Many parts. 
one body. Come on up here, Sean. We can almost look at it like this. Brother Sean could be his own. He's a church on the other side of town. I'm a church on this side of town. We have a body here, a called out assembly, the church. Here it is. Many parts, one body. Go ahead, Sean, do this. Many parts, one body. He doesn't look as good doing it as I do, does he? But that's what we could say. We can see that God calls. Now, he functions as an individual. I function as an individual. This church functions independent of other called out assemblies. And he does. Can we work together? Yeah, we can come together for projects and we can come together to get work done. We can come together to evangelize. We can do all kinds of things together if we cooperate with one another. But his church doesn't tell us what to do. We don't tell him what to do. We're our own body. Many members. Thank you, Brother Sean. The body. Those many members are one, it says. So we, Romans 12, 5 says, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Ephesians 4.25, talking to the church at Ephesus. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Members one of another. We're members one of another. Each and every one of us are in this together. It's important that we understand God placed us here. And we are one of another. Dependent on one another. That's important. So vital. Critical. This body. The church. A body that functions. Many members. One body. You are valuable. You are important. You are critical. You are mission essential. Why? Because you're all members of one body. Cut my finger off. I got a problem. Take my arm off. I got a problem. I'm not saying I can't function, but I will not function to the degree that God intended me to function as a whole. I'll be limited in my abilities if I lack someone or something, so to speak. And that's the way the church is. People sit in pews and they say, I'm of no value. I, I don't matter. Everyone matters. Take your big toe. Cut it off and see how it affects your balance. You'd be amazed. You say, I, you, I can't see anybody's big toe today, praise the Lord. I'm not a feet person. I don't, I don't like feet. I mean, I like them on me. Get me around, you know. Boy, you, you get rid of that big toe, you're going to be walking kind of funny. You're going to lose balance. may not be a big member. But it is an important one. Everybody's important. Now, we've talked about its beginning, its body. What about the church and its battle? Its battle. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Today's the last day to sign up. For the um, dinner series, you've got to sign up before end of night, okay? You really need to do that. We've got, we got, we got a little bit of room left, trust me. Plenty of room left, okay? Sign up. $10 per person. Cheap. You get dinner. You're going to have to, unfortunately, we, Josh and I threw a group together here just recently. We've, we've got about four different songs we're going to sing. Our, our group had to cancel on us. The Blacks were going to come back again. But Mrs. Black is just having a horrible time with shingles, okay? Be praying for. I mean, we're talking month on end. She's been doing this with this for over eight months or more. Okay, please be praying for her. But but they're unable to be here. And I booked this uh, months ago, but unfortunately, she's not been able to get any better. Matter of fact, she's getting worse. So be praying for the blacks. They did such a fabulous job for us. We enjoyed having them. But we're gonna have special music that night, and we're gonna have just a good time as we consider uh, the direction we're going with our new building and so forth. And uh, like I say, a great time of fellowship, uh, information, and just uh, food. It'll be a good time. All right. Tuesday, s- what time? 7 and Thursday at 7, okay? All right, one of those two nights. All right, it's battle. Now that we're all there at Ephesians 6:12, <clears throat> the Bible says, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We could take that and we could certainly apply that to our own lives individually. A warfare, a battle with Satan. No doubt about that. But he's talking to the church at Ephesus. And he's very clear that they, as a church, are going to be facing an enemy. And that their battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not going to be a matter of mere swords and staves. It's going to be a matter of spiritual warfare against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When I was in the military, there's a, a, a chain of command. You can have a general, and you've got a colonel, and you've got majors, you've got, you got uh, captains, you've got lieutenants, and then you go right on down into the unenlisted ranks, you know, sergeant majors and first sergeants, and you've got uh, E8, 7, 6, 5, 4s, and all that good stuff. It goes right down the line. And then, I mean, there are divisions, and there are, are everything from divisions to, 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 to um, I guess, um, squad leader, you know? Let me tell you something. As organized as our military is, it does not hold a candle to Satan's organized war machine. It is organized. There is an order there. There are units there, and there are captains, and there are majors and lieutenants, and there is literally an army that is in place. It is not just Satan running around going, hey, why don't you check this out, and why don't you check that out, and have all of his wicked uh, emissaries running up to him constantly. No, this is about him telling his generals, you go and direct this uh, east, and you direct the west, you're directing the south, you're directing the north. And then they have their, their, their lieutenants and their captains and their majors and their uh, you know, different leaders, and you go here, you do this, you do that. I mean, it's organized, folks. That is what the church is up against. The church is up against Satan. The church is up against an army. The church is up against a foe that wants to do everything it can to destroy this church and every other church. Why does Satan oppose the church with all his might? Well, that's a good question. First of all, because of its founder. Its founder. We already talked about who the founder was, who began the church. Jesus Christ is the founder of the church. His love for the church is beyond measure. The Bible tells us over in the book of Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Now, someone says, well, that's talking about husbands and wives. Actually, it's talking about the church. He's using husbands and wives to picture the church. His intention is to instruct us in the church. And he says to us that even the husbands love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He laid his life down for this church and every other church. For his body, he laid his life down because he loves the church so much. You want to hurt someone? Just attack their family. Go after their spouse. Or, or go after their children. That's how you can hurt someone. There is little that hurts so much than to watch those you love hurting. Especially those closest to you. Someone says, well... I would rather this happen to me any day. I just can't stand watching my wife go through this. I can't stand watching my husband go through this. I can't take it with my children. They're so young and they're enduring such hurt and heartache. I can't deal with it. You want to hurt somebody? Hurt their spouse or their children. Why has Satan opposed the church so much? Because Jesus loves us that much. And he knows he can hurt Jesus by hurting us. He hates Jesus. He hates God. All he has to do is hurt you, his body. And that will make Jesus really upset. 
So he battles the way he does. He opposes the church like he does. One, because of its founder. Number two, because of its foundation. Look, if you will, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. <clears throat> Sometimes I think we dismiss this or have forgotten it. It is so vital and important that we don't, however. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, <clears throat> talking about, again, Satan opposing the church with all his might because of its foundation. 1 Timothy three fifteen. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. By the way, there is a way to behave ourselves in this place. Just so you know, I'm not, we don't have time to get into it. But there is a way to behave thyself in the house of God. What is this house of God? Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. Did you just see that? Thou mayst know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. The house of God, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. What's he saying? The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The house of God is the pillar and ground of the truth. Why would Satan oppose us so much? Because we, the church, are the pillar and the ground of truth. The foundation of everything that is moral, right, and good. We stand for God, with God. And Satan hates it. Satan wants to destroy anybody or anything that agrees with God, supports God, works with God. We have a foundation. And it is a foundation of truth. Jesus Christ Virgin born, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, the Savior of all the world. We have truth bound in this book called the Word of God. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. If you want to destroy a building, attack its foundation. You want to destroy an organization? Attack its foundation. Get to the root. And everything else will come crumbling down. This is why it's important that we maintain the proper Bible in this church. Why we use a King James and we will use a King James as long as I'm pastor. And if you get another pastor, if I leave or I die, you better make sure that they have a history of the King James as use. Not just say they use it, but you can go to a history of it. You, can, you ought to interview at least ten people that they know closely and they have had to have years of using this book before you put them in this pulpit. Because otherwise they'll throw it away because they're deceptive. People are deceptive. To get their hands on this to destroy the pillar and ground of truth. You be careful. You be real careful. And that's why we preach the gospel. Unadulterated. Simple. Straightforward. People say, you know, well, we want deeper life. Deeper life is a result of obedience. You can get as deep as you want in the Word of God, but don't you compromise the book. Don't be changing the book. Don't go altering the Word. Don't find a version that fits your particular view. This church and every other church is to be the pillar and the ground of truth. Everyone in this culture, everyone in this society, this community ought to be able to say, if you want to know what the truth is, you go there. You may not agree with them, but if you want to know what God says, you go there. The battle. Satan opposes the church with all his might because of its founder, because of its foundation, because of its function. I mean, let's face it. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians 4.11. The church plays a major role in our life. We're going to move rather quickly here, but notice what it says in this passage, Ephesians 4.11-14. 
The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 11 of Ephesians, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that hence that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Wow. You know what the church does? It stabilizes you. It puts you on a foundation and makes you strong. And he says he gives you some gifts. One of those gifts is me. Now listen, I'm not big about tooting my own horn, but I fit there in that passage. I've been given to the church. The day your pastor walks away from the Word of God is the day you kick his butt out of the pulpit and send somebody in that can do it without it, with the Word of God. You don't let that go on. He better be solid in that book. He better believe that Word. Better not throw people up here dancing and jiving. Better not allow the Word of God to go by the wayside and start picking and choosing what book he wants to use. He's supposed to be a gift to ground you, to make you more sure, to encourage you, to certify within your heart that this thing called the Christian life is worth living and that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There's a battle going on. And Satan is going to try to destroy the church because of the function that it fits or serves. Notice it says, for the work of the ministry. He's, he's teaching in, a, in this ministry where to edify, where to, to, to exhort, where to try to train and teach, where to equip people. That's why the soul winning classes. Do you think Satan's happy about people learning how to lead others to Christ? Man, he hates that. Find somebody that hates it in this church and you'll find somebody that's on his side. I don't mean that they intentionally are on his side. They don't realize he has deceived them. And they don't understand that somehow they've got caught up in something and think, this is stupid. What do you mean stupid? That's what the devil thinks it is. You become the mouthpiece of Satan. You become a tool in the hand of the, the God of this world when you oppose things that strengthen the church, that enable the church to and equip the church for the work God's called it to. What do you think the work of the ministry is? Singing a song? There is no need for singing if there's no souls being saved. God, help us to understand we're to reach men and women with the gospel. Boy, I'll tell you what. Then train and teach them to do likewise. And then all those other things fit in their place and have their purpose. May we never oppose biblical teaching. If I said every night this week we're going to have a class grounding the saints, you may not be able to make it every night, but God help you not to oppose it. Somebody needs it if God put it on my heart. Do you understand where I'm going? I mean, why would we be upset with anything that moves our church forward in the work of God? Churches across this country are struggling today because we've lost sight right there of our function. The devil hates the church because of its function. A church that's doing what God wants it to do is a church that Satan is going to oppose with every ounce of his strength. God help us. Hey, Satan may wage war against the church, though, but he'll never prevail. He'll never prevail. The Bible says in Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, uh, that I the Son of Man am? They said, hmm. Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Isn't that the real question? Only you can answer that? Only I can answer that? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Way to go, Peter. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
But I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock... Wait. Peter, Cephas, stone. Peter, Cephas, stone, meaning stone. Rock and stone are two different things. Oh, so it's not upon Peter we're going to build something. It's upon the Lord Jesus and the truth that He is Messiah. That He is, as Peter said, the Son of the living God, the Christ. That's the truth that the church is built on. Not a man. Not a personality. Not a preacher. Not even an apostle. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to know that we're victors already. Now listen, we can yield to Satan. We can give in to his poise and his attack. And we can surrender and raise the white flag. But let me tell you, we don't have to. We've got Christ on our side. We're built upon a foundation. Jesus Himself. The battle. It's a big battle. A battle for truth. For right. We're the pillar and the ground of the truth. And our function is to train and teach others to go out with the same truth constantly. God help us to battle, to battle victoriously. Finally, it's blessing. We've noticed it's beginning, it's body, it's battle. But now let's talk about the church and its blessing very, very quickly. Number one, the church grounds us through study. It grounds us through study. That's a blessing. Again, soul winning training, um, Legacy Bible College, Wednesday night series, Sunday night series that we're talking about keys to the Bible. Those are opportunities to be grounded through study. Just showing up won't be enough, though. You have to literally want to learn. It's like children in class. They go to school, some sit in the classroom. They all sit the same amount of time. They all listen to the same teacher. And yet some get it, some don't. And most of the time it's not because one's so smart and the other's so dumb. It's usually because one is really trying to learn and the other one could care less. Let me tell you something. Church members can sit in pews and, and chairs their whole life and never know this book. I want to encourage you. To say to yourself, I want to study and learn the Word of God. And the church provides opportunities for that through the preaching and the teaching. You don't get that at home. I don't care what you say. Right. Television is not going to encourage you in the walk, your walk with God. Right. Man, you need the house of God. It gives you the place to begin. It puts you on the, the ground, to the pillar and the ground of truth. Then you take that in your own private study and you work on those things and you study the Word of God and you bring it back into the house of God and ultimately you become a teacher here. But you need this place. And if you say you don't, you don't know the Bible. People say, I don't believe in church. You don't believe in what God wrote then. I don't believe in organized religion. What are you talking about? Religion, first of all. We're talking about a body. We're talking about Christ. You don't know the Bible or you wouldn't say that. I don't agree with going to church. I just get out in the wilderness. I go camping. People have said stuff like that to me. I'm not mad at them. But they misunderstand the Word of God. They don't know what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do. I'm a Christian, but I don't agree with going to church. I don't think you have to go to church to to have a relationship with God. Wow, you're a rocket scientist. Wow. You mean you can get saved and not go to... The church isn't part of your salvation? You figured that out on your own? Good for you. Now you need it, though, to be perfected according to the Bible in Ephesians 4. You want to grow in Christ? You want to be what God wants you to be? You honestly care what He thinks about you and your walk with God? You can't do without this place. You can't. I can't. Someone says, man, I don't like this message. What are you talking about? I'm helping you today. You ought to throw... Listen, if you... I would not 
miss this for some stupid Super Bowl party. Man, it'll be going on half the night anyway. Show up a little late. Put it on your DVR. Whatever. I don't care. But man, I'm going to be in God's house. You got a party? You got some funeral? Don't ask me. Do not ask me to do a funeral. Go to your calling hours during church time. I'm not doing it. Not because I'm the pastor. Because I'm a Christian. He loved the church and died for it. I'm going to be in my place. Long before I was ever a pastor, I did not do those things. You say, that's crazy. You go, you got a reputation with your family to worry about. Yes, I do, exactly. Yes, I do, exactly. I want them to know how important God is, how important the church is, how important my relationship with Christ is. If your mother was dying... And your best friend's parent died and was showing funeral hours or calling hours. Where would you be? The calling hours or beside your mother's bed? God's important to me. Sorry. Somebody says, you are just out there, preacher. You're a nutcase. Okay, whatever. That's okay. I'd rather be a nut for the Lord. That would be crazy. Listen, I love people. I've never done my... I've never tried... To, to neglect people for any reason. I, have I and sometimes? Probably because I don't always know everybody's need. Sometimes you think I know things I don't, things like that. If I've ever offended you because I wasn't there for you, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. But the fact is, if I can, the best I know how, I try to be there for everybody the best I can. But I want to be here for him. It grounds us through study. It grows us through service. You know when to grow in the Lord? Be put in a position where you have to. Serve God. You know what? Soul winning would be important to you if you were going to go knock on the door next week. You'd go, oh my, I better figure something out because I'll look like an idiot standing at that door not knowing what to say. If you were going to teach Sunday school class next, uh, in the next month in front of those children, you'd be like, preacher, you've got to help me because I don't have a clue what to say or how to handle those kids. Can you give me some kind of training? Understandable. I need it. You need it. You grow, though, when you start serving the Lord. You can't help but grow because it puts you in a position where you need His Word and you need His wisdom and you need help. You depend on Him like never before. Finally, this one doesn't match. I tried to stay with the G's and S's. It gladdens us through fellowship. I could not find a word that meant fellowship with an S anywhere. I Trust me, I looked everywhere, even on the Internet. I use it, yes. And I like it. Now, anyway, it gladdens us through fellowship. Man, it's a wonderful thing to fellowship. It's a good thing to have other people that are in it together. In the battle. Facing the conflict together. One of the great things about team sports is that you face conflict together. Some of the greatest friendships are born out of hard times. Great conflict. Great conflict. Amen. You know what? The church is there for one another. We are in a battle today. Not just as a church corporately, but as individuals. We need one another. We need one another. Everybody's valuable for a reason. Because we need one another. The church. How valuable is it to God? How valuable is the church to God? What we're really saying is how valuable are you to God? Because isn't or aren't we the body? But hold on. How valuable is the church to you? What we're really saying is how valuable is Christ to you? Because isn't Christ the church? Works both ways. Let's think about that. Over this next week. Maybe even today, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart about something. And Someone says, if it was up to you, do you think everybody ought to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night preacher? I just want your opinion. Well, let's, let's skip my opinion. Let's see what God says. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Thanks, Holy Spirit. 
Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What do you think he says? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The return of Christ. The day he establishes his kingdom on earth. Hey, folks. God says that's important to us. We need this place. So, well, show me in the Bible where they met on Wednesday nights. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2 where daily and in every house. We want to go back to that. We can meet every night if you like. But forget that junk. I'm just saying there's no excuse that we can use to say church isn't important. It's always important to God. And if you have to miss church, it ought to be because there's a real good reason. And sometimes there are reasons that require that. I know that. But let's be honest with ourselves and with the Lord when it comes time to dealing with this issue. This church, every church is important to God. That's ground, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's based upon the Word of God. That's serving. That's seeking and striving for His glory. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for all You do for us. Lord, again... Thank you for the blessing of the church, just for the opportunity to be a part of it. And Lord, you know, as we look at the Word of God, Lord, so many times in my life, uh, and, and I just, I think, Father, it's normal. We have a tendency to, I don't know, kind of conveniently dismiss things. We just don't want to know some things. We don't want to have to face certain truths. But Lord, one thing that's so clear in your word is this issue, how important the church is. You love the church with all your heart. And I'm glad because I'm part of that. That's me. Lord, I just pray, dear God, that you'd help me to love you like I ought to. And then, Lord, to reflect that love through my, my, my dedication. Help us, Lord, just to love you the way we should and to serve you the way we should. And Lord, you speak to hearts. Nobody can convince us like you. Doesn't matter what the preacher says in the long run, Lord. Until it becomes personal between me and you, Father, the truth is it's not really going to take hold. So, Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to work in hearts and lives. And, Lord, may we be sensitive to your truths. May we allow you, Father, to, to be God. And, Lord, just help us, Father. And, Lord, may you be with those. There may be somebody lost here today without Christ. May they not leave here without you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you know for sure if you die today, heaven will be your home? You got that settled? Do you know that for sure? You say, I don't know for sure if I died, I go to heaven. Won't you come? Won't you just come forward? Just let me help you today. Let me have someone take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure heaven's your home. Won't you come?